I'm delighted to be joined by Neil from uh, an Aston Villa podcast for the love of Paul McGrath. So, Neil, tell us a bit about yourself and tell us about your podcast, please. Thanks very much, Owen, for having me on. I suppose first thing about myself is you, you'll notice that the Irish, that the accent is Irish, and uh, hence the name of the podcast being for the love of Paul McGrath. Um, he's a deity around Villa Park. Uh, people pray to him, even though there is a church in in Aston, just just down the road. Um, people pray to Paul McGrath nearly more than they do to any of the more uh, the more commonly well known, better known gods around around Birmingham, around B six. But uh, yeah, and 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 the name of the podcast actually it came from from my love of Paul McGrath when I was a child. Uh, one of the very first memories of of football I had was watching the Irish uh, Republic soccer team playing, and um, I remember he just struck me. Uh, amongst a lot of reasons but I remember it struck me how well he played I remember asking my dad who the hell is he and I was only maybe about six or seven I remember asking him who is he and he said that's Paul McGrath and I, I said I support whatever team he plays for and uh, yeah and 20 what seven odd years eight odd years on I'm I'm still supporting Aston Villa. Well, that's a fantastic story. Excellent. Very good. Yeah, Paul McGrath. I mean, um, I just about remember him. We're probably about the same age. But uh, in case some of our listeners don't know who he is, I mean, who? how would you describe him? i describe him as um, a bit of Virgil van Dijk mixed with a bit of Rio Ferdinand mixed with Beckenbauer and Baresi from years, years gone by and then put a pint in his hand. <laughs> and put another 20 points in his hand and get him to drink 20 points and then go out in the football field. He was, he was, a, he was a real throwback. He was one of the last players that could, that, that probably played better when he was under the influence, and, uh, unfortunately. Um, but to this day, some of his best games have been, um, you know, when he's had some struggles and some demons as a, in his own personal life. And, 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 you know, we look at some games like Ireland played Italy in, uh, in Giant Stadium in, in, in New York in USA 94, and he couldn't move his left arm. His left arm was numb from, uh, from <laughs> excursions and, and things like that, and he couldn't use it, and he kept the Italians out. And they didn't score at all that day. We beat him famously in Giants, Giants Stadium. But if anybody doesn't know him, I'm not doing him a, a great service from um, how good of a guy he is and the good of a man he is. But um, definitely check him out and look him up. He was one of the most gifted defenders, um, I think, that's played played in definitely played for Ireland and probably played in the Premier League as well. Absolutely, yeah. And that that match famous, yeah, for a goal from Ray Houghton, right? Yeah, yeah. Caught Genuka Paluka, one of my another. Early memory, but caught him, uh, caught him cold on his off his line, and it was it was a bit of a cracker to be honest with you. <laughs> I remember it well. Excellent. So here we are in 2019. You're still with the Villa. That's great. Um, but for our listeners, I was thinking about it. Um, you know, because uh, for a lot of us Liverpool fans, it's it's um, the last we saw of Villa was back in 2015-16, when unfortunately you got you got relegated. And um, I was wondering if you could tell us on you know about the journey you've been on since that bad season to to come back and relight your fire and get back into the big time of the Premier League. It's if I was to liken it, I could I could probably actually liken it to well parts of it I could liken it to when when you guys had had Gillette and um, I can't remember his his partner in crime when when Hicks. they owned that Hicks yes when mm. they owned Liverpool we came very close to the brink. Um, very close to the brink twice. 
Uh, Randy Lerner owned us. He was an American owner, and and he 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 was uh, our our chairman and owned the club. And he sold it. Um, he became under kind of financial constraints and problems in his personal life, and he financial constraints and he fell out of love with the club and wanted to sell it and move all his operation back to the states. But he sold it to who a guy that nobody knew a whole lot about came in saying that he was a multi billionaire. His name was Tony Ja, and um, all of a sudden. Villa fans kind of our interest perked a small little bit and we said this is this is quite good but very quickly the the kind of the the veil slid off the off this this um, mysterious man's face and he be, we began to see him for the crook that he was and it ended up now that we're at a stage whereby we were four hours away from going out of business completely and doing a complete another uh, bur- bury on it um now We've been sold to one of uh, Africa's richest men in 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 Suarez, Nassim Suarez, and also to um, the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks in the States, Wes Edens. So we are, I suppose, if if you were to look at it, the only table that were that were actually third, fourth, or fifth, or in the top six in at the moment would be the richest clubs in the world because our owners are so wealthy. So we're in. I think what it took was it took a bit of structural stability first of all. And then after that, then once everything off the field was in a good position, um, there was some good hirings were made. Steve Bruce steadied the ship a small bit, but I always find that that he has kind of a potential to to maybe to pull the pin out of the grenade at times. And fans never like him when he leaves the club, but we've gotten the right man in now. Villa fan Dean Smith, unheralded, came from Brentford, plays football the right way, and is a coach. And I think that's something that you guys can can attest to as well. We've had managers, we've had. We've had uh, man managers and so on. And now the Villa have a coach. And you guys have a coach as well. Jurgen Klopp is certainly a coach. And I think this is the way that it's going to go. And this is the way it should go. Because, uh, you know, the days of having a big Sam who basically sits there and does, does nothing on, on the training ground, players don't respond to that as much anymore. So that, I think, is the biggest, um, the biggest reason why we were able to get firing. And we went on a, a 10 or 11 game winning streak. Uh, last season that propelled us from 14th up to 6th into the pro- into the playoffs and the rest is history. But that's absolutely fantastic. And a man, I was looking at the lineup actually the last time Liverpool played Villa in the in the Premier League. It was actually a 6-0 win for Liverpool. Sorry to bring that back. But uh, I noticed that Jack Grealish was uh, in the team that day and he's still there. I also had a quick look to prepare for this on a couple of Aston Villa forums. And the first one that comes up on Google... Uh, I believe it's called Villa Talk, but I can't remember. Um, he, uh, I noticed that there were, for example, Matt Target, who's a pretty decent left-back that you've got. I mean, I like him as a player. I think he's very talented. He has 41 pages of uh, chat about him on, on this Aston Villa forum. And Jack Grealish has, I believe it was 1,140 pages. Uh, he's a bit of a legend, isn't he? Well, I'll tell you, if the one thing the the Villa fans have done throughout the ages, especially since the 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 inception of the internet, is have their opinion, and I think that's fair to say. Everybody wants their opinion there, and as you say, with Matt Target, there's nothing gets Villa fans talking more than the sniff of a transfer. So if somebody is rumored, if there if somebody's seen the, a name written down in the back of a cigarette box somewhere in a pub, it becomes a rumor, and then people talk about it. And that's great. That's that's the love that the, that the fans have for the club. And when you go to Villa Park, they sing and they they um the it's never a morgue, it's never a library, it's always very vibrant. But yes, about Jack Grealish, once again, he's one of one of our own. Uh, he's a Villa boy, um, and you know we came so close to losing him in that final year when we were in the championship for a paltry money of like 
think there was sums of 19, 20 million. But Jack turned turned it down, signed a, a, a modest contract for the time, I suppose, you know, for his talent. And um, he's he's beginning to flourish now because he really is a metronome within the team. And he's he's you know what he's he's um he's probably a sneaky bet to get on the plane for England to Euro to in Euro 2020 as well. Uh, watch that space. I think he's going to make a late run uh, for the team and, and for selection with the form that he's in at the moment. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I, I hear lots of good things. I, I saw Pep Guardiola talking about him in glowing terms recently on Twitter. Uh, so great. It all looks very positive. Um, currently, Villa are 15th in the table. Um, which sounds like, oh, you know, it could, you could be in trouble, but you're actually only two points behind Manchester United in seventh, but three points ahead of Southampton, who are in 18th. So you're closer to seventh than you are 18th. Um, it seems like a decent start. How would you sum up the season so far? It's It's been good. It's had its ups and downs. Um, the team, as you'll probably see on Saturday, well, maybe you mightn't see it on Saturday, but the team, we came out of the traps, we scored a goal, John McGinn got a great goal against Spurs uh, very first day of the season, it was a Sunday, it was, I think it was a late kickoff game, and it, it really, it was it, it was so invigorating, I remember watching it, and I, my legs were shaking, I was there, oh my God, this is going to really kind of in, announce us back into the Premier League again, but then Spurs came back, and that wily old way the Premier League teams have, and we ended up losing 3-1 that day, they brought on um, they brought on Christian Eriksen. He kind of turned the game. So in the early in the early parts of the of the the season, there was a lot of that. There was playing with passion and abandon, and maybe not understanding that. Okay, guys, there's more. Um, I suppose there's more hardened Premier League teams here who just know how to get the ball down, play it around, and win. Um, and, and that these talismanic players can't be given time time and freedom. The Championship is a lot more gung ho. It's a lot more up and down the field in the Premier League is. And I think it took this team a long time to settle into the whole, well, we got to have more structure to our play. The club brought in uh, Marvellous Nakamba. They brought in uh, Douglas Louise uh, into into midfield to kind of give it a small bit more structure. And they certainly have, especially Nakamba, really, really underrated player for Villa at the moment. And uh, very much in the... Um, I'd like to say he's very much in the Fabinho mould of your guys, but maybe his passing isn't as good as that. But he definitely would be in the mould of maybe a Kante, of a seek and destroy kind of a, of a midfielder, and he's made all the difference. Um, so there's been a lot of ups and downs, and the team has had to learn itself, learn how to play at this higher level, and they couldn't just bring in their, their gung-ho attitude from from the, the, the championship. And it seems to be going well. We've had quite a lot of, uh, a quite, quite a good run, should I say. Losing to City was our first time losing in four games losing five games actually uh, prior to that we had three wins in a draw so including our, our game against um, uh, our, our two games against Brighton one of them in the in the Carabao Cup but it's uh, yeah it's been a, it's been a mixed bag but definitely one that I would be an awful lot more ho- awful lot more uh, promising I suppose um, then I would be kind of looking over my shoulder I think this team can excel and propel another striker for this team and I think that I think that they could give give mid-table a very very big shot yeah, interesting. You mentioned another striker there. You've got Wesley as your number nine. Um, um, can you tell our, our listeners about him, please? Yeah, very interesting story actually. If you guys haven't seen it, it was it was well, it was well documented in in, in our circles, should I say? Wesley's twenty two year old uh, Brazilian striker came from Belgian leagues for big money, Villa wise, twenty two million. 
Um, very interesting story. He was a father very young, at 13 or 14, and he had two kids by the age of 16. And, and his father died when he was nine and stuff like that. And he was basically just sent out to work at nine. So formal education and things like that didn't come easily to him. Didn't start playing professional soccer until he was... I think it was 18 or 19 and now he's only 22 and he's playing the biggest league in the world. So he's has a, a meteoric rise, but he is colossally strong. He's a big, strong lad, can play the ball on the ground and can get to the front post. I think the biggest, the best we've seen Wesley at, at, at this year is, you know, when he's in the box and he's, he's able to get to the front post. He's a nightmare because he's, he's got, he's got the kind of the fleet of foot of a Brazilian striker, but he's got the six foot, Four, a bit like an ox of an Emil Heskey. So he's like like Emil Heskey with ballerina shoes on, essentially. That's how I describe him. But <laughs> <laughs> but he's uh, he's blow he does blow hot and cold. I will say that. He's gotten four goals this year, but some days like I think that he's gonna look at Virgil Van Dyke and say, I'm stronger than you and I'm gonna try and muscle you around the park and not many people can do that. So if he gets involved in the physical battle up front, sometimes he can kind of he, he finds it difficult to bring the other elements into his game. But if he can get down the side, of, get down the side of, of centre halves, get to the front post, or even link up the play, he is very dangerous. So when when he's on it, he's on it. And when he's not, sometimes he still causes enough of a hassle. But he doesn't like there could be games where he goes without a shot on target. Very interesting summary. Yeah, I mean, wow, what a story! I had no idea. Um, it's incredible. I mean, you know, some of the stories. There was an interesting article in the Guardian about Roberto Firmino the other day. You'll have to check that one out as well. Uh, but uh, no, wow. Um, another player that uh, has caught my eye in the, you know, the little bits I've seen of Villa this season is um, another midfielder. Uh, apart from Grealish, you've got uh, John McGinn, Scottish player. Um, he's pretty useful, isn't he? John McGinn is hands down my favourite midfielder I have ever seen play for Aston Villa and I've only seen him wow. play for a year and a bit. He is he is colossal. He's small, he's a nuisance, he doesn't have any uh he doesn't have any waning energy. The second he starts running, he'll be running at that pace in the eighty ninth minute. I genuinely wholeheartedly I've said it in the, on our podcast before and I know every fan has of every team has a player they think could get into the Real Madrids or the Barcelonas or the Liverpools, I suppose, at this stage, any team in the world. And I genuinely believe that there's no manager in the world that will look at a Villa team and say, I don't want him in my team. He is, he is, he makes the whole thing, the whole thing tick. And, and Grealish is probably going to be out for, for Saturday. Well, some some reports say he's out for four weeks. Other reports say he could make Saturday, but I wouldn't be counting my blessings on him being there. But losing Grealish, is definitely a bad thing for the team, but losing John McGinn is is catastrophic. He makes everything tick in midfield, and he's just he's just this box to box metronome, and he's he's an energizer bunny. Um, yeah, he's like against Man City, he he got on the ball an awful lot and and gave them hell. So the, he's the catalyst in an awful lot of things that we do. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that about about Jack Grealish. Have you got any other injury concerns for the weekend? No, it seems to just be just be Grealish at the moment. Uh, everybody else seems to be okay. Um, I actually didn't even know he came off in the game against Man City, but I he was on a yellow card and he was uh, getting a bit he was getting a bit hot under the collar with some of the fouls and he was talking back to the ref and stuff and you know so I thought they maybe brought him off in case he would be sent off, but then it emerged that he was um, injured. I can't remember what type of an injury it is. It's just slipped my mind. Um, but yeah, he was out, and then there was questions over whether Southgate would include him in the next squad. But 
Some reports today have said that he might be back for the weekend, but he certainly won't play tonight, which I don't think he would have played anyway against Wolves. But all the rest of the team should be pretty fit. Um, yeah, it'll just be a case of who will we get in on that left wing to replace Grealish. So, uh, yeah, that looks like, according to Google, like a like a calf injury. So, uh, well, I hope he's okay for for Saturday. I hope he recovers very well. Um, what about your defence, Neil? Um, I, a player I really like is Tyron Mings. But tell us, tell us about you know how's the organisation going, and including you know your goalkeeper Tom Heaton, who's uh, I'm a big fan of personally. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, it's important that you mention Heaton because when you mention organisation. That's something that, you know, you guys will, will attest to as well. When Alisson is in goals, the, he organises the team. He's a talker back there, and, and he's a big presence. Villa had Jed Steer last year. Well, sorry, we went through four goalkeepers last year, and so we settled upon Jed Steer, who was actually in-house in the club after we'd bought the um, the Swedish number two, or sorry, the Norwegian number two goalkeeper, and we bought the um, the Croatian number one goalkeeper, Lover Kalinic, at the time. And both of those failed to settle in the championship, had a couple of rickets and, 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 and let in a couple of soft ones. And then we settled on Jed Steer, who we'd brought back from loan. I think he was on loan with Charlton. I, I could be wrong on that one. But we brought back Jed Steer and he settled the ship in goals. He performed really well and he was a steady Eddie and actually made a couple of good saves uh, from penalties as the year went on. But he knew that he was a stopgap. And when we could get somebody with the experience of Tom Heaton, an organisation, uh, once again, a talker, and somebody who's got that international experience and that, that experience with being with, with, uh, with Burnley for so long in a well-marshaled defence, you know, their defence doesn't... Their defence just doesn't marshal itself, you know, you need to have a goalkeeper who can communicate as well, and Tom Heaton certainly is that. Our back four is new this year, it is new, we've got new left back, new right back, new centre half, and then we've got Tyrone Mings that we've brought in, but obviously we had him on loan since since January last year. So our back five realistically would have been unfamiliar with, our, with each other at the start of the season, and you could see it. We started off with El Mohamedy at right back and with Neil Taylor at left back, but they quickly were moved out for, for Matty Target and Gilbert. And the teams uh, and the, the backline's cohesion is, it's there to see the two centre-halves are two big, strong, athletic, rangy uh, players. They're, they're fit, they're athletic, as I say. They can, they, they've got a turn of pace. But when the ball is in the air, they're, they're, they're very, very robust as well. Uh, Tyrone Mings was cut out against Man City with that, that straight ball up through the air. He didn't get off the ground to try and win the header with, with Jesus. And it led to Sterling's goal at the start. But usually you don't see that from Tyrone Mings. And there's a reason why he's been capped by, capped by England and probably will go on to be capped by England again in the upcoming, uh, in the upcoming games. But Bjorn Engels uh, beside him as well. Uh, Belgian player um, was with uh, Reim in, um, in France and was on loan to Olympiacos. And we got him for a steal. I think it was about eight million. But he is, he is a real, he's a Premier League defender. That's how I would describe him. He's big, strong, no nonsense, no doesn't smile, just stares down and just gets on with his job. And and, and <laughs> he's one of those old style um, centre halves, is what I would call him. But uh, yeah, the two set, the two fullbacks are an area that I think, you know, I was I was kind of wary about them when they when we played Man City. Would they attack too much? But they were really disciplined in the first half. They performed really well, and even through the second half as well. Even though we lost three 0 I think the first goal when it goes in. You have to open up a small bit, and the second goal was a VAR mishap, and then the third goal was just a good goal. So you know, while the scoreline was three 0 looking at the game, it was kind of a case of, okay, needs must if we're going to we're going to have to score a goal to to draw the game, so we might as well push forward. And when our fullbacks tried to push forward a small bit, there was space behind. They're very attacking, and um, 
they're very attacking. Freddie Gilbert loves a sliding tackle and he loves a yellow card. So um, whoever's going to be on left on the left wing, probably Sadio Mane, um, he he better have his dancing shoes on because Gilbert doesn't take any prisoners with tackles down that wing. But um, I'm very imp- I've been impressed with them, even though we have shipped a lot of goals. I am impressed with the with the backline. I think they're a young backline. Well, they are. It's not thinking about it. They are a young backline. And uh, and they will grow into this, provided we stay up this season. They will be a formidable piece within our within our progression throughout the throughout the coming years. I think. Mm, yeah, very intriguing answer. I hope Gilbert Gilbert doesn't doesn't injure Sadio. That that's that's the last thing we need. As important as Sadio has been for us this year, which is very important. Uh, but uh, thinking about uh, the weekend, how, how do you think Dean Smith will set your team up on Saturday? Dean Smith doesn't like to change when he gets well. When I say he doesn't like to change, he changes tactics, but formationally he changes. He he keeps things much along the same lines. I think if Jack Grealish is in, he's going to play on the left wing, which is a newer kind of wrinkle that he's put into the to the formation recently. Um, Jack Grealish was playing centre midfield, but what happened was he was often coming back even behind our centre halves to pick the ball up from the from the goalkeeper, and you don't want him back there. He's too creative. He can play that role if you want, but He's just too creative in this team that we needed him up for, or further up the field. So what uh, Dean Smith did was pushed him up into the left wing and he's flourished there and he takes the ball. What he's actually done really well is Connor Howerhan has played in midfield and I think if Jack Grealish is out, Howerhan will come into that role, that left-hand side role, I think, um, in, in his absence. But when even when Grealish is there, Howerhan plays in central midfield and the two the two of them will alternate and, and move and switch and and, and kind of kind of uh, cover each other on that side of the field. Um, I think Marvel, I think the team would be very, very similar. I could actually probably name the team with or without Grealish at the moment. And you'll, Our back four will be, our goalkeeper will be Tom Heaton. Our back four will be, as I said, Target, Mings, Engels, Gilbert. Marvellous Nakamba will be in front of them, who is, um, I think I'm looking forward to seeing how he deals with these dribbling Liverpool forwards, um, especially Firmino and, uh, and Mane. Um, you'll probably have Douglas Louise beside him with John McGinn a small bit further forward. Uh, you'll either have Jack Grealish or you will have um, Conor Horan on the left-hand side. You'll probably have Trezeguet on the right-hand side, a new signing from uh, from the Turkish League's uh, um, Egyptian striker. Um, I'm sure he knows Mo Salah very well. In fact, the two of them caused havoc at the, at the African Cup of Nations. And then up front, we'll have Wesley um, on his own. But it would be, I think it would be something similar to that. And how it kind of works is Dean Smith plays the ball through midfield an awful lot. And most of the long balls the Villa will play will come from Tyrone Mings, if they come from anyone at all. So while Mings can play the ball through midfield and he's very good with the ball at his feet, he's got, he's got a great range of passing as well, especially logging out of defence. So the main, the main key is if, Wesley is, if Wesley is able to bring his, his wing players and John McGinn into play, that's the biggest chance that we have. But if Wesley is well marshaled, then look, he's come up against the best defender in the world at the moment, Virgil van Dijk. But if he's going to be like completely blanketed by van Dijk, I'm not kind of sure how Villa are going to get too much out of this game unless we get it, get maybe a counter-attack here or there. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. It'd be interesting to see. There's a couple of things that could go in our favour, um, but then but there's, there's way more things that can go in Liverpool's favour, put it that way. Mm, yeah, intriguing stuff. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for the game. It'll be, it'll be really nice uh, to see. I mean, but 
um, despite the fact that it's taken taken place at Villa Park, uh, Google gives Aston Villa a 12% chance of victory and Liverpool a 70% chance of victory. Does that sound about right to you? It's about 2% more of a chance of victory than I was given Villa. I, I think... <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm, I, would, I would be very happy with a draw in this game. Look, miracles do happen. If this was Man City, I would be more confident. If we were to play Man City again this week, even though we, we only played them last week, I'd be way more confident of beating Man City. I'd give Villa as much as a 35, 40, 50% chance because I thought we played well with them and they su- we suited their style of play. We suited their attacking, their attacking style. Liverpool's attacking style is different. It comes from everywhere. It comes from it comes through the middle. It comes down the wings. It just literally it comes from everywhere. You've got Andy. If, if Sadio Mane isn't attacking on the left wing, you've got Andy Robinson coming up there. If Trent Alexander Arnold Arnold isn't floating in across from deep, he's passing it down the wing. And you know it's it, you've you've got Salah playing the ball through to Firmino or someone. So you guys have got you can attack from from much much different angles. And and I think it's uh, well. Uh, you know, I think 12% is probably fair, but maybe I might give the draw a bit more, a bit more of a percentage than than uh, than 18%. But I I think there's I think the Villa would be would be very happy if they came out of this with a draw. Wow, excellent stuff. And uh, just one final question for you, uh, Neil. What I mean, what do you make of Liverpool this season? You said we, you know the danger comes from anywhere, but uh, what do you think of us in general and our and our title chances this season? Is it a two horse race? Uh, what do you think? Most definitely a two-horse race. Not only is it a two-horse race, but I just think that Liverpool are the mo- the Liverpool teams of old. And I don't think like most a lot of a lot of Irish people are Villa are are Liverpool fans, and most of my friends would be Liverpool fans. And I don't think they mind me saying that Liverpool teams of old they've always had fantastic players, fantastic strikers, midfield generals, great centre halves, you know, domineering goalkeepers, and so on. But maybe they've just been a small bit mentally weak because they've had maybe one colossal leader within the team. And like, you know, going back to the to to Steven Gerrard, who was one of my favourite players of, that I've ever seen play in the Premier League. But the time he slipped against Chelsea, you know, when when it happens to that colossal leader within the team, you know, the rest of the team didn't have the mental fortitude to kind of pick it up and go from there. That's the difference with this team. This team is super strong mentally. You know, they don't have that one kind of, you know, like that one, I won't say, well, they do have icons, but you, you know what I'm trying to say? They don't have that one general in, 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 in the team, like, like maybe a Gerrard, like a Carragher or someone like that, that when that Mr. Liverpool, maybe something goes wrong for him, that the team might capitulate. I think this team is set up to win the league this year. I think it will win the league this year. I think it will win easy enough. I, when, when I say easy enough, I think that it won't be a final day shootout. I think they might wrap this up two or three games before the end of the end of the, the league. And the reason I think is because they're just so free flowing. Man City are like Pep Guardiola's sides are coached very well, but they're I think Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp coaches his team to their strengths and he coaches it to more like a philosophy as opposed to his, uh, yeah, a philosophy as opposed to a system, I think. And you can just see it. It's just, it's free-flowing attack and everybody knows what they're doing and he's got youth in the team and he's got abundance of pace. But mostly, you look at Sadio Mane, he never stops smiling. You look at Firmino, he never stops smiling. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, they all play because they're all happy and they all believe, they all 1 million percent believe they're going to win the title this year. And, and so do I. I think Liverpool are the team to beat this year, hands down. 
Well, that's music to our ears. That's absolutely lovely stuff. Thank you so much, Neil. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, how do people listen to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast? Yeah, if there's anybody out there that's looking for looking to get their villa fixed at any stage, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. Basically, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, we're there. You just search for, um, for if you even if you put in the word Paul McGrath, we come up. So <laughs> there aren't too many podcasts out there named after him. And you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> on at Mac for the love of as well. Um, if you it's at Mac for the love of once again, if you search for Paul McGrath, we come up there as well. And uh, yeah, as I say, I, I'm looking forward to the game on Saturday and, and I hope um, I hope it's a good game amongst everything else. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Neil. Thank you. 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 Thank you.